We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You don't want it. You don't need it. But you're going to get it anyway. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Here's Kevin. Hurts keeps around the edge and bends it back down, fighting for the end zone. What a run! Touchdown, Philadelphia. Second of the night for Hurts. Jalen Hurts last night. Wow. Uh, the Eagles. I know a lot of you were making fun of me, and this is not a back slapping exercise here, um, but. Uh, I did kind of like the Eagles, and I said if Jalen Hurts was just a little bit better, they would win 12-plus games this year. Last night was about as impressive as a team can look in a half and almost as impressive uh, as uh, as a quarter, about as impressive as a quarterback can look in a first half. Jalen Hurts, Tommy, in the first half last night, 17 of 20 for 251 yards, one touchdown, seven rushes, 50 yards, and two touchdowns, including the one we just came in on. Um, I'm not so sure that Philadelphia shouldn't be right now the favorite uh, in the NFC. They're not. Um, Tampa is a slight favorite uh, at MyBookie, which the show uh, today is presented by MyBookie. Go to MyBookie.ag or MyBookie.com. Use my promo code KevinDC, and they'll match your first deposit dollar for dollar all the way up to a thousand bucks. The NFC Championship odds right now: Tampa is the favorite, Philly's the second favorite. I don't know. I think Philly looked really good last night. It's two weeks; things change, injuries, the whole thing. But I, I saw a loaded roster before the season started, with quarterback being the biggest question mark, and that quarterback was great last night. They look scary good. The Eagles do. You know what? I think they will be a formidable opponent for the Washington Commanders next week. I think they will be a worthy opponent. A worthy opponent, think? indeed. Indeed. Yes. yes. It, I, I think they will. First of all, leave the backslapping exercises to me. Yeah, I'll try okay? to do that. But, okay. you know, it, but, but last night's a sensitive night for me. You know why, right? Last night's last 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 night is one of those nights where I'm like, oh shit! I'm like, come on, Kirk! I mean, and, and you know, once he, it's really amazing with with cousins, you know, especially in the prime time games. 
You know, the truth is he's been fine on Sunday nights and Thursday nights. Monday nights, he's got the worst starting quarterback record in NFL history on Monday night, 2-10 and now. And when he is in a primetime spot and he doesn't perform well, Oh my God! You should see my Twitter notifications. It is, it's in. You know, I I used to fire back like, Oh, where were you last week when he threw for four touchdowns and three thirty? Because they all go silent most of the time. Um, but I saw it coming last night, so I tried to preempt it by just tweeting out, "Rough night for Kurt." Um, I saw that. Yeah. I was following. <laughs> But, you know, the the funny thing is, is that per usual, you know, with him, there is some nuance. I mean, in the first half, Irv Smith just flat out dropped a 65-yard touchdown pass that, that Cousins threw as he was getting hit on the money. And that, that would have been a massive play in the first half. He had six dropped balls in the game last night from receivers. With that said, though... He was terrible in the fourth quarter as he was pressing, really pressing. And Darius Slay had um, Justin Jefferson just completely draped. But really, the story for the Vikings last night was the Eagles and the Eagles' offense, which they couldn't stop at all in the first half. So let's get back to the thing that I was right about, which was Jalen Hurts. Um, No, I, I, I really think that this is a really good football team, Tommy, really good football team that is also schemed up very well around what their quarterback does. They are a true dual threat attack. There is zone read. There is RPO. There is quarterback designed runs. There are quarterback draws. This guy is the only thing missing from his game has been Can he make the throw from the pocket on third and seven? And you know what? I don't know how many times he's going to have to make the throw on third and seven because (laughs) they're so explosive everywhere else. Now, Minnesota played this cover two deep shell that was really frustrating. If you were a Vikings fan watching last night, they just gave a lot of easy stuff. But look, the Eagles have... That roster is loaded with talent, and you know the quarterback is beloved. He's respected. He's a tough guy. He is a cool dude in terms of not you know getting really rattled ever. Um, they're dangerous. Now it's a short week, and it's the NFL, and th- and shit happens in the NFL, and they're going to come yes, in here. Off this big win, and they're probably going to be feeling pretty full of themselves. They'll have a short work week. Um, you know, Darius Slay got a little bit injured after one of the great games by a corner in recent memory uh, last night. Uh, so I don't know what his status will be. But, you know, when you least expect it, expect it. And, and Washington can move the football and can score. But Philly looks to me like the team, uh, not only in the division, but in the NFC right now. I mean, long way to go. But they are going to be a very good football team as long as they stay healthy this year. Yes. Yes, they will. You know, getting back to your boy, Kirk. Yeah. Uh, I was thinking last night, he's running out of time. I mean, he's 34 years old. Yeah. This is his 11th season in the NFL. If he's ever going to change the narrative, he's running out of time. Well. I mean, this is going to be, 
his legacy. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to spend a lot of time on Kirk because people, for whatever reason, he's just so polarizing. Um, The narrative is different from what reality is. Reality is he's already, you know, proven those that said he's a starting quarterback, a top half of the league starting quarterback, and if you put some really good pieces around him, he can be a really, you know, uh, somewhere in that range, like I've had him forever, 10 to 14, 9 to 13, somewhere in that range. He's not an elite quarterback. He's not a strap the team to his back quarterback. He's had some but bad we're defenses. We're talking about something different. We're, we're talking about something different. We're talking about coming up small in big moments. But it, again, now you can come up with all the fourth quarter. You can come up with all the fourth quarter comeback stats you want. Yeah. Okay. In the big moments that people remember, he comes up small. If you are a Kirk, pers- if you are a Kirk hater, you remember all the moments he came up small. If you are a Kirk, and he gives if you plenty a, of them to do if to do that. He, with. If you're a Kirk Stan, if you're a Kirk, you know, major major league backer, you've got a lot uh, to the contrary. If you're somewhere in the middle, I would agree with you. If you're like he's good, but he's not that good, you remember the moments, the bad moments. You definitely do. There is no doubt. He is tied to this Monday night record, and he can't get it done when it matters the most against really good teams. No doubt about it. You're right about that. But he has had many a comeback win. He has played big in many of of their good games. Last night was a team loss for Minnesota. If you're being objective, like if you didn't have any feeling about Kirk Cousins, you're like, well, they gave up. 350 yards on defense in the first half. Like, how does that happen? I mean, that, that's yeah. a that's a. I, I said about Washington's second half the other day when they had 340 yards. I said that's a college stat. You, you, I don't care what you think about anything. When you get 340 yards and a half, that's those are college numbers. Philadelphia had 350 in the first half. And, and Irv Smith dropped a 65-yard touchdown pass that was a dime that would have totally changed the game in the first half. But he was pressing in the fourth quarter, and, man, when he presses and they're playing a good team, it can really turn ugly, and it really turned ugly last night uh, for him, no doubt. But back to the main takeaway. Philadelphia is a really good football team with a quarterback now in two games this year. All right, in two games this year, has a 70% completion percentage, has uh, uh, has rushed already for three touchdowns, Um, and last night was was just as dynamic as as you can be playing the position with a total scheme that fits him. And I I I like Jalen Hurts. I've liked him for a while, and I thought that this you know that there is a a big upside for him. He's extremely talented. The biggest issue I've had with Hertz is that at times he's a little bit too cool for school, you know, um, and a little bit too casual. But, man, he looks good, and they look good in the addition of A.J. Brown. I mean, come on. It's almost unfair to put him opposite Devontae Smith with Goddard and with Miles Sanders and a quarterback that is doing this to a defense. Um, By the way, I was looking at um, their, uh, their schedule here. 
They play, you know, they're favorite at Washington this week, four and a half, five points right now. They play Jacksonville the next week at home. Then they're at Arizona. All right. Arizona was close to basically having, you know, the lights turned out on their season after two weeks on Sunday before their miraculous comeback. Then they have the Cowboys. I don't know if Dak will be back for a Sunday nighter. Then they play the Steelers at home. Then they play at the Texans. And then they play Washington at home. They are going to more likely than not be favored in their next seven games. They're 2-0, and and they are really more likely than not to be favorites in their next seven. And then they play Indy on the road, and who knows what they'll look like at that point, before playing the Packers on a Sunday night. Like the and then their schedule also, you know, they have the Giants twice still. They've got the Bears. They've got the Titans who are faltering. This is, you know, barring a catastrophe injury-wise, they're going to win 12 or 13 games this year, Tommy. Mark my words, they are going to win 12 or 13 games, and they are going to run away with this division. They are, by the way, massive favorites now to win the division. I was looking at this earlier. Washington's now picked last in the division. Philly's minus 225. The Giants are plus 490. They're the second pick right now because they're 2-0. and The Cowboys are plus 510, and Washington is plus 980. So Washington's a distant fourth now, odds-wise, in the division. I actually think Washington's probably, on that price, probably worth you know a taste because they're going to be able to score some points and move the football this year. But they're not, they're not, yeah. winning, they're not winning the division is, with Philly in it as long as Philly yeah. stays healthy. No, this is what we, I said about Washington at the beginning. They're going to score a lot of points, but they're going to have to, right, I think, right in now order to way. win. I think... I think who they are is a team that we kind of said from the beginning. They could win eight games. They could win nine games. I think that's pretty much it. I think they're going to be who they think, who we thought they were, which is not much different. Although the the style may be different, it's not much different than what they were last year. Yeah, I I agree with you. I think – you know, I did a segment on radio this morning. What have you learned about the team through the first two games? So I'll ask you that question right now. What have you learned about the team after two regular season games? It's early, and, well, I mean, and this could change. It is, but right it is now, early. Yes, it is early. And like you have pointed out numerous times, the NFL is a week-to-week league often. Uh, but uh, they have the potential to be off. I've, I've learned that Curtis Samuel might have been worth the wait. Okay. Uh, they have tremendous offensive weapons, uh, at least particularly at receiver. And now that Logan Thomas is healthy, at tight end to that. And they've got a quarterback when he's not under attack can probably make, uh, make use of those weapons. But I think the rest of the league and Philly, who brings the pressure, uh, you know, if you bring the pressure on Carson Wentz, you're going to make his life miserable. I mean, this is the. I don't want to get into that. Well, no, I do want to get into this if you want to. But I might want to point out that uh, in that Detroit game, uh, if you have Taylor Heineke back there, he's not getting the sacks that Carson Wentz is. Oh, my God. But he's not, Kevin. He is not. He's moving, he's running around with the ball, he's making plays. And he is not taking the beating. He can't do what Carson Wentz does when Carson Wentz lofted up, but Wentz can't deliver 
what Taylor Heineken can do when there's pressure. And that's going to be a problem. Can we stop? Can, we, can we please no. stop talking about Taylor Heineke, please? No. Oh my God. No. I mean, y- because y- what? Because I just said, <sighs> I just said they're not going to be much different than they were last year. Uh-huh. So why wouldn't you talk about Taylor Heineke? I thought Carson. Wentz they're going to be much different offensively. Much different offensively but, this year. And by the but, way, but he they, took they have, he had major games last year where he took a shitload of sacks. I mean, yes. I got to go back and look at it, but I remember the uh um the Denver game was just hideous. Um uh, give me a second. <laughs> Cuz Okay, I, go ahead. I, I, let me just tell you something. There is no chance in the game on Sunday that Taylor Heineke Throws for 300 basically, and there's 278 in the second half and three touchdowns, and gets him back into that game. No chance. Look, is he more mobile? I don't think they, is he I more mobile. Think, yes, I, he is. He's more mobile. He's significantly. Got, he's, he's got great escapability. That is his number one, you know, trait. Is that he really was more of of an escape artist and a playmaker that way. Uh, here he got so that Denver game that I remembered five sacks. He, he got sacked five times in that game by a really good def- defensive football team. The week before in the Tampa game, which they won and he played very well, he was sacked five times in that game. The Green Bay game, which got ugly four times late in the year. I I, I guess you know um, our girl. I mean Jesus. I hate even mentioning Sabah and Sabah. You know I I I love you, and I and a lot of this is in in good fun. But last night, she's trying to make the case that if Washington had just used Taylor Heineke the way Philadelphia is using Jalen Hurts, that essentially Heineke equals Hurts. Like, if you can't see the difference between Jalen Hurts and Taylor Heineke in terms of overall upside and talent, you really shouldn't be, you know, well, she isn't paid to talk about football. Um, But, you know, I know that there are people out there that really think they didn't use Taylor Heineke the right way and that the results would be no different this year. And by the way, I agree that I thought Scott Turner could have used his mobility a little bit differently. But Taylor Heineke's a backup quarterback in the NFL, period. Carson Wentz isn't. Carson Wentz is a starter in the league. And Jalen Hurts may be on the verge of becoming a really good starter in the league. I'm not going to say elite because he's different, but he has, a, has a, a, and they've got a great supporting cast too. But I don't know. The, 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 I went back and watched the I, game I, yesterday I, to find out if a lot of those sacks were on Carson Wentz, and I didn't think so at all. The pressure was immediate. Aiden Hutchinson was unblockable. Their stunt action yeah. really fooled um, Washington up front, and Carson Wentz and almost any quarterback would have had no, not much of a chance, really, in that one in the first okay, half. Well, we don't, we don't know that. We, we, don't, we don't have anything close to remotely, if, that, if that's even a, a, a situation or not, that any quarterback would, would, would have not have done much better. That's ridiculous. Well, Hertz, you Hertz, that. Hertz obviously did better because he escaped it the entire game last week against Detroit. And they were coming with blitz after blitz, just like they did, you know, after Carson on Sunday. But the pressure was immediate, immediate. I watched a lot of the Philly game against Detroit, and and Hertz is just, you know, he saw it. And by the way, is obviously, you know, one of the more 
you know, elite uh, mobile quarterbacks in the game. And Detroit had to respect, you know, his running ability on every on every play. But um, no, we don't know that for sure. I, I would agree with you that Taylor Heineke is more mobile and more and has great escapability. And maybe on Sunday he wouldn't have gotten sacked four times in the first half. But I bet you he would have been sacked two or three times. There were a couple of no chancers, including the safety. No chance on that one. Right. I'll, I'll, I'll grant you that. And by the way, for, for you know, for whatever uh, offensive uh, line adjustments they made in the second half to give Carson Wentz more time, and I'm not quite sure what they were, the biggest adjustment was Aiden Hutchinson was hurt. Yeah, he was banged up. He was gimpy. No doubt. That, yeah. that helped out that, a lot. That, that was the biggest adjustment. Yeah, it helped a lot, but the, but Turner, you know, you know, they focused on getting it out a little bit earlier. They handled the stunts better. Like I was looking, Ron Rivera had um, an answer to that uh, from yesterday. He essentially, Nikki Javala asked him about the O line and what changed in the second half, and he said basically, we just played better. And I was looking for like major adjustments, like are they going to more screens? Are they trying to run the ball? Are they? They did. They just blocked better. You know, and um, sometimes that's it. But the big difference from Detroit's standpoint is what you pointed out, and I pointed it out yesterday during my, my uh, during the show and my game recap is that Aiden Hutchinson was injured and was not the same player in the second half. Right, and uh, he was. But he was awesome. unblockable. He, Un- was un- he was unblockable. Completely. And they used him in yeah. so many different ways, and they stunned a bunch, and they really struggled. And now they're going to be without their center. You know, Chase Rouillet is done. Schweitzer now will move over. I, apparently he's done. He's done for a while. Uh, I think uh, Jeremy Fowler from ESPN reported that he, he's probably done for the year. I had Kime on the radio show. He said, yeah, it's looking like very long-term, maybe the year. And so now you get Schweitzer and, at center and, um, you know, you're gonna have to you're gonna have to scheme up you know some some cover some pass pro because they did a good job in pass protection last week against Jacksonville, um, uh, you know the, especially on those yeah, final two drives, and um, you know one other quick thing, Tommy. Let me just add this just because I, I did prom I, I said yesterday in my game recap there were two things I was going to specifically go back and check on. I thought you know I said look subject to to change. Um, uh, uh, to review, I, I thought Deron Payne had some real moments. He did. He had some dominant moments in the game. But overall, uh, upon further review, I would take him off the list of things that I liked because really defensively there was nothing to like. Actually, 25, St. Juice had a couple of plays and almost had a pick at the end of the first half, um, which would have – uh, been uh, pretty good. And then the other thing, just to uh, emphasize and reiterate to those of you um, that, 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 that said they got all that yardage against soft coverage and prevent. No, they didn't. Detroit kept coming. Detroit was, was continued to be aggressive on defense in the second half. Um, and some of the biggest – look, the, the, the argument that should be made should be that Detroit should have been more conservative and should have played softer. And the reason that Washington got all those chunk plays in the second half and they had quick drives. I mean, the first drive, five plays, 64 yards, two minutes and two seconds. The second uh, drive, seven plays, 94 yards in just over four minutes. You know, they, they were scoring and moving quickly because Detroit was continuing to be 
aggressive and they weren't playing soft and Washington got big plays out of it, the argument that you could make is that Detroit should have been softer and should have made them dink and dunk their way down the field, taking lots of time to score and then try to tighten it up in the red zone. Um, you know, even the drive where where uh, went through the interception, which that was a big chunk play to Logan Thomas if he lays it in there. Uh, but no, Detroit kept coming and they were aggressive throughout. And I think that's just the mindset of the coach. I mean, hell, they blitzed on the final play of the game, on the final offensive play of the game, which was the only sack that Wentz took in the second half. But um, yeah, Deron Payne had some monster plays, but for the most part, you can't give anybody on defense anything other than, you know, a low grade. They were horrific defensively on Sunday. Really bad. But apparently it's yeah, not the were. coach's fault, Tommy. <laughs> <laughs> well, according to uh, Boris, their uh, cornerback it is. <laughs> yeah. I want to get to that. I want to get to what Derek Forrest said because you wrote about that. I want to talk about Rivera's comments about Jamin Davis and about scheme not really being the issue. Um, I did really want uh, to, to add to the Monday night discussion by just saying Buffalo Wow. I mean, they are so, so good. Um, I It's two weeks, and you can't get, you know, bent out of shape one way or the other. But when you see a really good team with an excellent quarterback, and by the way, their defense is nasty. I mean, they were my, my preseason Super Bowl picks, but, you know, that was chalk. That's a, that was a chalk pick. They were the Super Bowl favorites. They're even a bigger Super Bowl favorite now. Um, but, God, Tommy, listen to this, and I, I went over this this morning. Listen to Buffalo and their schedule coming up. I mean, this is actually going to be some really fun NFL, uh, other than you know our own team, to pay attention to the rest of the league. Buffalo, after just annihilating Tennessee last night, 41-7. to So they've outscored their first two opponents, the Rams and the Titans. By the way, the, the NFC, the Super Bowl champions and the number one AFC seed from last year, yeah. AFC seed, yeah. they've outscored them 72-17 to in the first two weeks. But this week... They're at Miami. All right, the Dolphins look really good. Then they're at Baltimore. You know, the two teams that just played the game of the year so far, Baltimore and Miami. Then they have Pittsburgh at home. Then they're at Arrowhead against the Chiefs. And then they play Green Bay at home. What a test and a gauntlet for what appears to be the best team in football, Buffalo, to go through early in a season. Like, if there's a division race, and most people think there isn't, I think Miami looks really good, but I think the Bills are a lot better. But they play Miami in South Florida this weekend. Then they go to Baltimore. Then they've got Pittsburgh at home. Then they're at Arrowhead for a rematch of that epic playoff game. And then they've got the Packers on a Sunday night. I mean, the next five weeks for the Bills are going to be – those games are going to be fun to watch if you're an NFL fan to see just how good they really are because they're about to get tested big time. Um, I think they're really good. I think they will pass the test with flying colors, actually. I'll... I think they're really good, too. And, and you know, uh, coming off the uh, – when did the Chiefs play last? They played they Thursday played, night. Uh, they Sunday played, night? No, they played Thursday, Thursday night against the Chargers. Yeah. Okay. That's it. That's it. You know, watching, watching Patrick Mahomes, and every time I watch him, I almost feel this way, that he plays quarterback like nobody else I've ever seen play quarterback. In the league, yep. period. But when I see Josh Allen play, 
I say to myself, I don't know which one is. I don't know which one is better. Yeah, there there was a conversation after you know leading into the Super Bowl last year. I remember we had, and I know I did this on radio too. Like if you had your choice right now, and we excluded Mahomes because Mahomes was the default pick as number one, and then it was Burrow because he was about to play in the Super Bowl, Justin Herbert or Josh Allen, if you could only pick one. And I think I said, I'm pretty sure I said Herbert. But I, but to me, it's Allen. And I'm not so yeah. sure if you include Mahomes in the conversation right now that it's not close. I think I'd yeah. still take yeah. Mahomes. But, I agree. But, um, but just barely. You could convince me otherwise. Let's say that. I'll tell you what, too. They, they have a, a monster defense, and their best player on defense, you could argue, Tredav- uh, the, the White, the corner, Tredavious White, hasn't even played yet this year. But the addition of Von Miller to go with, you know, Rousseau, who's an animal, and Milano, and, Tr- and Tremaine Edmonds, when he was picked in the 2018 draft as a 19 year old, and I think he had just turned 19 at the time. It was like one of the youngest players to ever be taken in the first round out of Virginia Tech. And, and you saw him on, on highlights, and you're like, yeah, he's tall, he's lanky. He has turned into such a good player. And remember this, too, about Buffalo. Playing in Buffalo in January, if that's where the road to the Super Bowl goes through, that's going to be awfully tough. That crowd in that city, is they've been waiting yeah. for so long in many ways, it would yeah. be like for us if Washington was Buffalo right now in terms of you know the last couple of years you know, knocking on the door and now being a legitimate Super Bowl favorite because it's been so long and it was it's such a rabid fan base up there as we know. By the way, thank God they didn't ever move the team. I know they were considering moving it to Toronto. Remember that? You talk about taking a team yeah. out of a out of a city they where they played some home games. They, they played did. some home games in Toronto. They did. Yeah. They, they played Washington one year in Toronto. Um, yes, the, the John Beck game. One of the John Beck games, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> by the way, did you get somebody uh, – what was your prediction on the Washington-Detroit score? I know you picked Detroit to win, even though you texted me 30? before the game and you, you, you changed your pick with me in our texts before yes, the game. I, no, I, changed, I, I did change my pick publicly. I said Washington – Given Detroit was supposedly so banged up, yeah, I didn't think they'd be able to run the ball, and I thought that Washington had a real opportunity to go two and zero. What, what was I your prediction it. on this show Thursday? Thirty-one to twenty-three. Yeah, I believe. yeah. Somebody said that Tommy got it nearly right. Um, yeah. yeah, you you had Detroit in the over. You got you got both of those. Yeah. Uh, right. The smell test, by the way, another losing weekend. Four and five. I was two and one on the NFL. I had, ten, I had Tennessee plus ten last night for the winning weekend. Uh, and that never really had a chance. Although early, it looked like it had a chance. Um, but man, Buffalo. Whew. I mean, it's almost impossible to get them off the field. And then defensively at home, they're going to be hell to deal with with that crowd and that defense and as aggressive as they play. But this is going to be a fun game. I mean, it's too bad Washington and Philadelphia. It's too bad Buffalo and Miami couldn't have been a a, a bigger spot. It's a 1 o'clock game um, on Sunday uh, in, in South Florida. But that that's a that's a big time early season game and we'll see where where Miami is cuz 
they're hard to stop too <laughs> so far this season. Um, anyway, uh, all right. When we come back, a full-fledged commander's uh, discussion, including some of the things that Ron Rivera said yesterday, um, what t- Tommy said about Derek Forrest. Uh, but we got to get to the Jamin Davis stuff as well. Uh, you are listening to this podcast, courtesy of many of our sponsors, which you will hear next. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at Babbel.com slash BlueWire. That's 60% off at Babbel.com slash BlueWire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash BlueWire. Rules and restrictions apply. Tommy just mentioned to me that he got into some sort of Twitter back and forth over the weekend. Tell me about it. I know I was not following it. What? What? Who did you get into it with? Was it a baseball well, a argument? People. No, no, okay. it's not a baseball argument. Okay. Uh, Claire Domschik, who apparently is a commander's uh, account executive, oh boy, tweeted uh, uh, at one point. Uh, it was be actually it was game day. She tweeted out. Awesome energy today. The stadium was packed. We won. Thanks for coming out and supporting us. Okay. To me, this was a bridge too far. What? I, I, well, well, hold on. Yes. Whoa, 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 whoa. Wait a minute. Hold on. Who is this person again? A woman who works for the commanders. Yes. What does she do for the commanders, Tom? Is, is that she's an account executive. Is This isn't their social media girl, Caitlin? Because yeah. she's excellent. All right, so it's it's an account executive. So he's a salesperson. Ticket sales, yes. corporate sales. What did, what did she say again? 
awesome energy today. Here's the key phrase for me. The stadium was packed. We won. Thanks for coming out and supporting us. Okay. You know, I, I wrote my column last week. There was awesome energy in the stadium. Right. There, there was a lot of support going on. So I tweeted out on top of that that it was the smallest crowd in the NFL on opening Sunday. And I posted the link with it. You know, because it uh. wasn't packed. You know, that, that's not true. Oh, come on. Who it, cares? It a, well, well, you see, this is the problem today. <laughs> Words are so cheap. I, oh, Nobody oh, cares about them. Oh, come on. You know? I've got her tweet Jesus up right now. Christ. I mean, come on. She's trying to create some excitement. They're in sales. Uh, They're in sales. I know that, but, but she, could have, she could have done that without the stadium was packed. Oh, my Everything God. Everything else she said was true, but it wasn't packed. There were a lot of empty seats. The funny thing the is the the funny, the funny thing is the picture she sent out with the tweet. You can see all the empty seats. Yeah, I, I mean, that, but but so, oh come on, Tommy. So people went after uh, me for that. Uh, oh and look, she's a she's a one. she's a young account executive. She's in business development, selling season tickets and suites. This is what salespeople do. And by the way, I, I, don't I, have, I know that I. The stadium was packed. I mean, you, you talk about nitpicking. Oh boy! You could have done. So the what same happened, thing. Kevin? What? Words matter. Well, uh, I, got, I got roasted by a lot of people, but uh, this was my it. favorite. What? This, this was a response uh, to uh, from one guy. Uh, no one from Tampa. I think that's his. That's his name on Twitter. Tom has issues with Dan, and never misses a chance to highlight the franchiser. I mean, I think he means the franchise, usually in a negative way. And I posted, this is my favorite one. Not sure what the other side to this one is. Wait, say that again. I'm sorry. I'm trying to follow. So the guy tweeted to you, what did he tweet? Tom has issues with Dan. Right. And never misses a chance to highlight the franchise, usually in a negative way. Right. I'm not sure what the other side to that is. (laughs) Somebody who doesn't who doesn't yeah. have issues okay. with Dan. All right, right. Well, of course. You know, I mean, I, the, you know, who who doesn't have have issues? You know, it, there's a lot, a lot of negative way to highlight here. I know. Yeah, you know, I you, just didn't you, understand. Uh, uh, you're you're burying the lead here. You picked on a salesperson for saying, by the way, which you did say, and we both admitted there was a lot of energy and excitement in the stadium yes. against Jacksonville. Okay, yes, I think that, I think that's when you look at and you just let go. Come on, I don't think so. Oh, I don't gee, think so. Words, no. words matter. Uh uh-uh. uh piling words piling matter. on. Here's the flag. No. You're getting walked fifteen off on that one. Now the other thing you no. said goes hand in hand with something I I I, I said um, in my game recap yesterday. Before I got to it, I just said, look, it's just I, I think you know. I don't know that it was uh, – whenever I, I say things like it's just different now than it used to be, people say, nah, it's really not that different. So I'll acknowledge that maybe it's not that different. But I do think that it's amazing the reactions you get after one game. You know, 
It's all, in fact, I've got this text. I I forgot about it. Let me just read it. It's from Ryan Keel. Ryan Keel, remember, Ryan's a a friend of mine. Ryan played in the NFL forever, played for, you know, Washington, but was a long snapper in the NFL. I'm familiar with him, yeah. You you know Ryan. And and I've had Ryan on the pod before, and I've known Ryan forever. Um, He texted me, and he said, uh, listen to the pod. Uh, I think you're spot on for what it's worth. Detroit was in a must-win game at home. Couldn't start the season 0-2. Teams are probably just a home field advantage difference, all things being equal with injuries. Lastly, he writes, as a casual observer, it is amazing how quickly uh, we're conditioned to, to go gloom and doom around here. You need to play six, maybe seven games now before you know who is good this year or not. People are batshit crazy. Take out the top six teams in the league. It's all matchups and week to week, as you said. Um, and I, 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 you know, to your Dan thing, it, I'm not, this isn't like a direct direct, uh, an apples to apples, you know, uh, analogy or comparison. What I'm saying here is, there's a group of people out there right now, and if you live on Twitter, which you do, you're influenced by, I think, a, a small f- f- fraction of the fan base. Oh, absolutely that, that small. W- that wants you to believe that if you're not all on board, you, you leave. Get out. You're not on. And, and by the way, they're the first ones when they lose a game to start screaming about how everybody should get fired. And I and I, I said something yesterday um, uh, before you know it, it, it maybe in the open to the program. I just said, you know, the the loss on Sunday was you know a coaching loss, a player's loss, and I said somewhat tongue in cheek, Tommy. Those of you who are real fans of the team and expected so much more, it's not your fault. It's not your fault for bathing you yourselves and the team in champagne after they beat Jacksonville. You didn't it wasn't your fault that the team was so overconfident that they thought they could just walk into Detroit cuz Detroit of course is terrible and beat Detroit. I I just the 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 um the, the the finger pointing and the and the the arms raised in a V after Wentz had those final two drives and they beat Jacksonville from some of these people on Twitter the get on board or get out you know crew which is what I like to dub them they're they're the worst they are the absolute worst because in most cases they don't know anything about what they're talking about and then secondly they're the first ones to turn on a dime and start asking for everybody to be fired when things go wrong. It's two games, relax. They're better on offense than they've been in a long time if they stay healthy. Defensively, they got a lot to figure out. They got a long way to go on defense. I'm, I'm, I'm legit concerned about it. Um, and like you said at the very beginning of this show, right now I think what a lot of us thought – is probably going to be the way it is. There's going to be a good week, yeah. and there's going to be a bad week. And there's going to be a good couple of weeks, and then there's going to be a bad couple of weeks. They're not terrible, but they're not good either. They're somewhere in between. And I do have – I'm starting to grow a little bit, you know, weary of the blaming it on the players from the coaching staff. You know, it's not our scheme. You know, we, we heard a lot of that last year as well. 
Um, but like you said, like, stop with the anybody that criticizes the, these people on Twitter. Like, if you are, are, are critical of the team because the owner is the worst in all time in this town and one of the worst four or five owners in sports in the last quarter century, like, if you don't understand that he's the single biggest driver of, of people away from this team, I can't help you. You're, you're just you're, you're you're just easy. And if you're going to keep spending on him and act like he's not been a major problem, and if anybody criticizes him, you're a hater. No, you can actually root for the team and hate the owner simultaneously. The problem is how many people now dislike the team because the Snyder thing has just gone on too long, and now they're either totally apathetic or they don't like the team at all. Um, but anyway, yeah. uh, I don't have a problem. With one that. last thing. I have a problem with you picking on that. One, girl. one last thing. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's too bad. You know, uh, this was this was one more reply from no no one from Tampa. He said to me, "It's the boy who keeps crying wolf, even if it is a wolf nobody cares about. Nobody takes you seriously anymore." Oh, somebody. And I replied in my tweet. Yeah. Well, and I replied in my tweet, and yet you follow me. <laughs> and he's still following well, me I mean, as we speak. Oh, if you, I mean, look, you and I both said this um, about each other over the many, many years that we've been working together. Like, we, you get a bunch of, of emails and tweets and, and comments about, oh my God, how do you deal with Sheehan? And I get the same thing, oh my God, how do, how do you deal with Lavero? I mean, and here's the bottom line. People keep listening, <laughs> and I'm really happy they do, <laughs> because for all of you people that think that I'm ever going to abandon Tom, it ain't going to happen. These are my favorite hours of the week. Trust me. Uh, I've been so lucky to have people that I can have fun conversations with, serious conversations with, smart conversations with, and Tommy and Cooley clearly in the last 10 years of my life, top of the list. So uh, it ain't happening. But um, anyway, you shouldn't have picked on the salesperson. That was real nitpicky, you know. That, yeah, you, but she that represents made, the team. That made you look small. She represents the team. That made the she represents that, the team. That made you look smaller than the crowd. That made you look smaller than the crowd. No, it wasn't <laughs> packed. You could have made the same point without without oh, you know my. saying the stadium was packed. Do you know what, Tommy? Here's something I've learned. This is a true statement. Uh, I've I, I've heard many people, you know, about the Sunday game say, "Oh my God, it was a great crowd, and it was so. I mean, it was it was packed, or you know, it was. It, it, I mean, it was. It looked like it was near sold out. Keep in mind, a lot of people that are going to these games now, you know, um, haven't been to the stadium when it's like legit good. It's been a long time since Washington's had a real. NFL crowd and home field advantage. So these people aren't familiar with, a, you know what? with what a really think, good crowd I, I, is. I think you got to go back to 2012, the RG3 year. Oh, no, I think, the, uh, look, 
there there were games somebody pointed this out to me the other day that it it wasn't that long ago that people were still interested in the team and the, and the possibility existed if the team was really good everybody was back on board and that's true you go back to 2016 you know and even 2017 like that 2017 opener against Philadelphia that 2017 Sunday nighter against the Raiders um, you go back to 2016, some of those games, that Green Bay Sunday night game, uh, you know, you, you had, you, you were still getting 80,000, you know, to the stadium. Now the capacity is something less than 67. Um, I, I mentioned right. that last week. I heard from a team, the team, uh, you know, uh, they, and they told me that I could source the team on this. I'm not going to tell you who it was who I talked to, but that you know the the capacity now officially is is somewhere in the mid 60s. Okay, so it's the lowest it's ever been, and they are expecting 60,000 plus on Sunday against Philadelphia. Um, and I don't know what that means in terms of Philadelphia fans versus Washington fans. I would expect a lot of Philadelphia fans to be there, certainly. Um, you know, we, it's been years since we haven't seen Philadelphia fans be a significant part of the crowd. But I think on Sunday, the shots that they send out about the energy and the stadium being packed will be closer to the truth. Because if capacity is like, say, 65 now, and they're expecting already north of 60, and that was before Philadelphia won last night, and Philadelphia fans may come down and take the rest of them, you might have something approaching a sellout on Sunday. Yes. Yes, it will be. But I would think that a lot of those tickets, you know, a lot of those extra tickets are going to go to Philly fans, who I think probably anticipated their team would be 2-0 and by the time they went to Washington. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and I think they anticipated feeling good about coming down to Washington for that game. For Claire, as opposed to some Washington fans who, you know, uh, I think I, I don't think there were a lot of Washington fans that thought they'd be two and zero, even though there was an opportunity for them to be, given the, the uh, opponents they were playing. For for Claire Domshik at Commander CD. Oh, don't- don't be such a, Keep up the good work. You've got you've got a hard product to sell. I can only imagine the challenge that they have out there. And stay positive and stay enthusiastic, because and and, and tell and tell the truth. When you're selling, you've got to be enthusiastic and you've got to be positive. And come you on, know, say the word. And say the word. I know you don't even like to say the word. No, it's, say the word. What what word are you looking for? truth well to her the stadium being packed was the truth and by the way there was awesome energy and they did win and the, and, yes. and she thanked everybody for coming out, and supporting that out them. in my column <laughs> okay and let's point out like you just pointed out please like i mean we are all we, we measured that call that uh, that crowd against other I, uh redskins uh, commanders crowd right yes that's the measurement. I know. It's not the NFL of, measurement. Of course it's not. It's the measurement of what we're all used to. But you can't sell that. Hey, awesome energy today. <laughs> the stadium compared to how bad it's been in recent years was packed. And we won. <laughs> Thanks for coming out and supporting us. Please you think about it. doing it again. Could you have made the same point without saying that the stadium was packed? Sure you could, but I, I'm not okay. – the stadium was packed is really a nitpick because compared to what it's been, it was packed. 
And by the way, in certain sections, it was uh, the lower level was completely packed. Yes, it was. Yes, it was. Yeah. So there you go. Look, it was a it was a it was a great commander's crowd. <laughs> it was a, well, no, it's a, it was a great crowd for them. It was a really good yes. crowd for them. Can we talk about? Um, I, I, I want to talk about your column, and let's start there because I think it all kind of goes together right now. Let me just start off by saying, last week Jack Del Rio, you know, called out Jamin Davis. We played those, you know, sound bites for you on the Thursday show, I think, you know, saying it was a so-so performance, saying he's got to do better, and then he said, "Hey, I've given you plenty." Ron Rivera yesterday, um, you know, uh, or after the game on Sunday. Um, said Jamin's, you know, Jamin's got a long, you know, got a ways to go here. He's got to get better. You know, he'll be challenged, but he's got to play better. Um, Ron Rivera also said yesterday, essentially, uh, that, you know, uh, he, he, the players have to execute. They've got to play better. Uh, he, he does not believe it's a scheme issue. Um, and, you know, this goes back to last year. There's a lot of this, you know, now going on you know, over a year, 17 games last year, two so far this year. You know, we've got to be more disciplined. We've got to, we've got to adhere to the scheme. Um, the players have to do what, we, what, what they're being coached to do. So we've gotten, you know, uh, we haven't gotten a throwing a player under the bus like Jay Gruden did to RG3 in 2014. We haven't gotten coaches saying our players suck and we're great. But there have been subtle sort of comments here going back to last year where Ron Rivera, when it comes to Jamin Davis, when it comes to the defense, and really the defense has been asked about the most because it wasn't good last year and it hasn't been very good this year. Um, they don't really want to take the blame for it uh, right now. And my, my suggestion is, even if it's true, and it's possible it's true, well, two things. One, Rivera's in charge of the players. Remember this coach-centric thing? So if the players aren't right. doing what you've coached them to do, well, it's still on you because you're picking the players. But number two is uh, don't, don't point to scheme uh, in a scheme versus players situation. Just say, we lost a game, we weren't good anywhere for long enough, we've got to get better. Um, I don't like the defensiveness. Uh, last year, I thought it was more frustration over Chase Young and maybe even Montez to a certain degree. By the way, Tommy, did you see the individual contractor line from Jack last week? We didn't talk about that, or did we? The best, I don't remember the best quote from the, from, the, from the Del Rio presser on Thursday was – that this year we don't have individual contractors. Here's the quote. On four guys rushing as one, because they had a good pass rush against Jacksonville, he said, yeah, I'm pleased with the effort and the energy that's gone into that, preparing to rush as a unit as opposed to individual contractors. That's been an emphasis for us throughout the offseason. To me, and I didn't see it until after our show on Thursday either, that was actually the best quote, and the Jamin Davis stuff sort of paled in comparison because that's going back to last year, and that's basically pointed right at number 99. And maybe yes, number ninety yes, as well. You're right, that's a good. Um, yes, absolutely. But but again, another example of you know it's really not our fault. And and by the way, they might be right. They it, it, it they might be right. But Ron's the coach centric coach here. He's in charge of the players. And if the players aren't doing what you're supposed to do, you got the wrong players, and that's on you too. But as far as the coaching goes, you can't you know. 
you can't continue to put it on other people without taking some of it back on yourselves. And they're not doing that. And that leads to your column. Go ahead. Tell everybody what it's about. Well, I mean, I, we talked about this uh, during COVID, actually, uh, about how without media access in the post-game locker room, Ron Rivera is enjoying a level, was enjoying a level of protection in his first two years in Washington. Because in the atmosphere of a post-game locker room, particularly obviously after a loss, you know, emotions can be raw, and there's opportunities to vent right there in front of a player. You know, sometimes not in front of a big crowd. You know, I mean, they were bringing players up on, up on a po- podium right. Zoom. to talk to a group. And so, so I mean, people are going to be, players are going to be much more conscious and careful about what they say in that atmosphere. Right. But in the heat of a post-game locker room, you would get things like a Josh Norman diatribe or a DJ Swearinger coaching takedown. Uh, the opportunity happens, for, and, and particularly in Washington, it seems to happen more often than not. You know, it may happen around the league. I'm sure it does in, in other places. Uh, well, now you, you, you can have the media in the locker room after the game. And you got this quote from Derek Forrest, who basically, basically said it was the coaching was the problem in the first half. It was uh, like, it's like they, they knew what kind of defense we were going to be in before, before we set it up, you know? So uh, this is going to be something that, that Ron's going to have to deal with. Uh, and he had to deal with it in Carolina, I'm sure. But in Washington, things are different. Things are always different in Washington. So uh, it's something to watch. And I pointed out that with 19 losses in two years, there would have been plenty of opportunities for, for, for that kind of reaction after one of those games and the coaches having to explain it the way. Imagine the post-game locker room after the Deron Payne-John Allen fight, right. okay, which turned out to be, at halftime, much worse than was first reported, thanks to the reporting of Mike Silver. Uh, you know, by the time those two players appeared before reporters uh, at, at a press conference, I mean, you know, everyone had their story straight. In a post-game locker room, you can't be too sure of that. you got 51 other teammates that you, you got to figure out how to silence, and you can't always do that. So, yeah. That was my column. No, I, and I it certainly remember you um, saying during the pandemic, you know, the lack of access um, is a, a lack of as much information as we used to have. Um but specific to what Derek Forrest said when he said, quote, it was scheme, I felt like they knew exactly what we were in, closed quote. Um, and then he did say it was great offensive play calling. Yes, he did. Okay. He put a qualifier in there. Yeah. Yes. So, but, but when you hear that, by the way, you know, your ears perk up because, you know, when, when somebody says, I felt like they knew exactly what we were in, and then Amon Ross St. Brown said, we knew their bunch formation and we knew that they were going to be confused by that first, you know, play, um, you know, then you do, you know, you do start to wonder, well, what's going on here? I mean, personally, I think the Derek Forrest comment, I'm not saying that he didn't mean it, but I don't think it's going to bubble up into something, you know, because it's Derek Forrest and he is, he just played in his second game as an NFL player. You know, I, it, John Allen responded to that with a pretty, um, 
I, I mean, I got to find the response. But it, it, here's the quote from Allen um, when he was asked, Tommy, about Derek Forrest and what Derek Forrest said. He said, at the end of the day, we've got to execute. I'm not a fan of putting a lot of things on the coaches. At the end of the day, we're players, and we've got to be the ones executing. I've, I could have been better and, and will do better myself. Sure, I guess if you want to go that route, I guess you can say that. But to me, that's not really something I'm thinking about, closed quote. So there was the typical, what you were about to say, the typical John Allen, you know, he's, gonna, he's never going to throw anybody under the bus you know, part, uh, that was the first part of the answer. But then he says, I guess if you want to go that route, I guess you can say that. But to me, that's not really something I'm thinking about. So I, I do think there may have been some truth to what Derek Forrest said, and maybe players believe that. But my point is, I don't think this is a bubbling up situation with Derek Forrest saying this. I think if John Allen had come out and said it, or if a player of more substance and, and more of a veteran player had said it, I, I think you, you would have been like, uh-oh, we got an issue. We got an issue with players and now Jack in the scheme. Because Kevin, it's early <clears throat> in the season. It's the second week of the season, and you have, play, uh, you have a player uh, is already questioning the coaching staff. You, I mean, uh, you know, I mean, they're going to have losses, and after losses, uh, these things are going to come up. Nobody does this during a win, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I just think there's, there's going to be more opportunity, something that we haven't seen. Uh, do I think this is kind of symptomatic of something bigger? We don't know. I'm just saying that I don't think Derek Forrest meant to throw the coach under the bus. I know what he said. And in my column, I, can I, read, said, yeah. I said, maybe he, maybe he didn't mean it. Maybe he did. Okay. We don't know. But I, I, I raised the possibility that he might not have meant, he might not have realized what he said. Right. The impact of it. Right. I do think, though, that Amon Ross St. Brown saying that they knew the kind of coverage that they would be in and they knew they could really confuse them with that bunch uh, look um, is more uh, damning. Um, but anyway, you know, I. I um, I don't know what's going on defensively. I, I like I can't say, the, the number one question I've been asked over the last you know forty eight hours is 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 Jack Del Rio going to be fired? I don't think he is. I don't sense that. Ron Rivera hasn't blamed scheme. He hasn't blamed coaching. He hasn't said we've got to fix things. He's essentially said players have to do their responsibility. Like he he went through a bunch of different plays and said you know one guy making a mistake. You know, well, you know, I, you know, it's the same thing. Like I, I, I heard him say multiple times, it was all about the explosive plays on Sunday, and there were a lot of explosive plays, and you know, there were also a lot of you know small, you know, uh, you know, small cut plays. I mean, they had twelve plays of like eleven yards. You know, I don't call that explosive. You know, I, the, the big plays of forty-nine. You know, in in fifty and fifty-two and fifty-eight. Yeah. But, you know, they count. <laughs> you know, they, they, they count. So whether it's big explosives or, you know, that, and so you can only point to six plays, that's not really the case. You know, I, I mean, in, in the first two games, they've been run on. There have been a couple of big runs, but yes. they've been run on. You know, even on three- and four-yard runs, you know, they don't look like they're really holding the line of scrimmage. 
So I, I don't know what the issue is. I don't know what the Del Rio thing is. I don't think Del Rio is going to get fired, not now anyway. I think, a, I think you, you lose to Philadelphia and give up 400 yard, 450 yards and 35 points, and you get beaten Dallas by Cooper Rush, and I think then we can start talking about, you know, uh, about heads rolling. Um, but I don't think that that's where we are now. That's my guess, but I don't know. But I, I don't know. Rob- I, think you're, I think you're right. I just don't think it'll take – again, this is my instinct, no information. Okay, and I could be absolutely wrong. I'm qualifying this as much as I can. But I don't think it'll take much to turn on Jack Del Rio in that locker room. I, God, I, I think I disagree with you on that. I think there have been too many ch- to opportunities, personally and professionally, to turn on Del Rio in the past, and it has not happened. And in the fact, opportunities are, have not been there, Kevin. They have. They've the been bad. De- they've been bad defensively for a year. Well, no, Tommy. But, there's but, still social but, media. When, when no, 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 no. There's still social media. If if they, yeah, but, but if they, this team, this team is pretty quiet on social media. Tommy, if we had, if we had, because of Jack's political beliefs, because of his January sixth comments, because they've been a bad defense for the last year. If if we had a major problem with players in Jack, I think we would have known about it by now. I Either. didn't say a major problem. I said it won't take much mm-hmm. for players, I think, to turn on Jack Del Rio. I well, mean, they're human beings. But that much has already happened, and they haven't turned on him. I, I think in a locker room, it's a different atmosphere. Okay. The whole point of the column. I don't know anything <clears throat> with respect to this. I did know about the feelings that many of them had. And I told you guys, you know, in 2020 that Matt Ioannidis wanted out, that players were really having an issue with Sam Mills. And eventually Sam Mills was gone. I have not heard anything about Jack Del Rio and the players not believing in Jack Del Rio or not liking Jack Del Rio. Uh, so, it, you know, if it were to happen, um, uh, my personal belief is it would be more of like Rivera saying, we need, uh, you know, we, we need a, f- a fresh new look at this rather than the players burying him on the way out. I, I may, it might happen. I don't know. I just haven't heard anything. And I was hearing a lot of stuff. A lot of us were from the get go on Sam Mills. Nothing through all of the Jack Del Rio stuff over the last you know two years. Nothing other than they like Jack. He's one of them. I'm talking about football player wise. I know. I know. Uh, the Jamin Davis stuff. Let me just m- mention real quickly. Jamin Davis was not the only problem on Sunday, and he was a bigger problem against Jacksonville, but they had problems everywhere on Sunday. And I think the calling out of Jamin Davis here is interesting because, and I asked John Keim about it this morning because this is another thing. I'm not sure whether they've just reached their wits end and they're using the the public criticism as a last resort to try to get through to this guy, um, or they, you know, are 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 just they, they don't like the results because they were really positive about him over the summer. I mean, I you know I, I mentioned everybody that you know 
they believed that they had a 12 to 13 win offense. You know, that was what I ha- was told back in June or July that inside that building after Dotson and with a healthy Samuel, they felt like they had a 12 to 13 win offense. Um, I don't know if that's what we've seen from them, but they're clearly much better on offense. Uh, they, um, uh, defensively, I heard over the summer that there was some real optimism about, you know, Jamin Davis moving to, to a more natural position for him. And maybe it's just that they haven't seen it play out on the field and they're a little bit frustrated, but I don't know if they're frustrated with him. Uh, like personally, like he's disruptive or he's not getting it or or they, they, they can't get through to him. I don't know if it's that or they're just disappointed with or they're surprised by the results because they thought they would be much better. But they got big well, issues way, everywhere on defense. E- either way, they're talking to the player through the media. That's what they're doing. With Davis, they really Whatever are. Whatever you think. Yeah, that's what the end, end player and managers and and coaches and stuff will do that from time to time. And it's usually when they feel like their message isn't getting through in, in one-on-one or in team meetings. Right. So I would think that that would be the case in this point. That would be my assumption is that, uh, you know, this guy's not listening to them. Well, you know, maybe he'll listen now. And initially it seemed like he did. I mean, I, I thought he was a much bigger problem in the Jacksonville game than he was in, in, in this game. But, uh, you know, number one pick, who picked that number one pick? Exactly. Ron Rivera. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, you're, you're now, you know, there, there are two number ones, Chase Young and Jamin Davis. Chase Young obviously produced as a rookie, but, you know, we don't know what's coming next. I mean, he's got tremendous talent, and I have told, said this many times. I was all for taking Chase Young. Um, there now, obviously revisionist history. We'd all go back and take Justin Herbert. Clear, clearly, um, the Jamin Davis thing, though, was you know a lot of people thought it was a bit of a reach, and they may be a little bit defensive on this, and they may be like, "We need this guy to work out. We're going to look terrible," you know, for for picking him in the first round when we needed real help in a lot of different spots. I mean, this can't be a bust of a pick. I I I, I will tell you this, Tommy. As, and I don't know what's going on behind the scenes with Jamin. You know, it's very possible he's just not getting it. They're doing their best, and they've tried every possible thing, and he's just not getting it. But these are things that should have been clear to them in their due diligence leading up to that 2021 draft. Because if he wasn't going to be a guy that was going to be able to adapt quickly or uh, you know play your schemes, then you drafted the wrong guy. But I would also suggest to you, given his athleticism – on that defense, that they should work to making him a part of the solution. Because what I did see from them on Sunday was using him in some pass rush situations, like the first series of the game. Look, if his best value is to turn him loose as a pass rusher, as a blitzing linebacker, do that. But it's your job, since you picked him, and you knew more about him than anybody did, to keep grinding away with a really young player and find the spot where he can produce for you because you don't have a lot of options. It's not like we can sit Jamin because we've got so many people behind him, you know, including this fourth rounder who's really turned into a stud. They don't have any of that. So that athleticism, you don't get that with a lot of players. So they better be thinking about him as a part of the solution here 
for, for, for at least as long as they can. I mean, I understand the idea of if we were talking to them and they said, no, no, you guys don't get it. This is, this is a bust. We fucked it up. He can't do it. He can't play the scheme. He's not getting it. And in those situations, there is, you know, a cut bait strategy that sometimes makes sense. But uh, I hope that they figure out a way to make him a part of the solution because he can run. Yeah. He is an athlete. Remember when I wrote a column? Uh, what when was it? Uh, uh, last August? Uh, no, two two years ago. Saying that uh, if Jamin Davis is fortunate, if the team's fortunate, he'll have the career. This was when Rich Mallott died, and uh, I wrote a column saying if if Jamin Davis is fortunate, he would have the career of Washington's seventh round draft pick in 1979 out of Penn State. Right. Would you, would you take that now? Well, again, I but think... But you ridiculed I, me when, yeah, I wrote no, it, I, when I wrote it. I remember mocking you about that because what I said is, you know, all due respect, rest in peace, Rich Mallott. You know, he's a champion. He was part of the, you know, the championship uh, seasons in Washington. Not the 91 team, I don't think. But, you know, he was a good player. He was a decent player. He certainly wasn't a star player on those teams. No. You know, he was just no, a but he solid. He played 121 NFL games. Right. He, whatever think, it was. You think Jamin Davis is going to play in 121 NFL games? No, but at the time, my mocking of you was really more or less. I mean, let's just let's calm down on Rich Mullot's career. I mean, Jamin Davis was taken in the first round. He's got a lot of potential to be potentially a really good player. You know, but apparently he may not have a lot of potential. Well, you're right. You're right. You, you know what? Maybe what what, what do you want me to say? A uh, little potential. Okay, yeah, yes. Just, just right now, right now I'll take Rich Mallott. Okay. I'll take Rich <laughs> Mallott right now. There you go. We're done with oh this now. Oh, my God. Um, <laughs> I have a couple of stats for you that really would kind of belie uh, or contradict, if you will, the results so far. Uh, we'll get to those right after these words from a few of our sponsors. So Washington is one and one, Tommy. And, you know, I said yesterday, I think a lot of people would have taken that 10 to 12 days ago. I mean, I know that, you I, know, Jacks, I would agree. Jacksonville, Detroit, you know, two and O chance. And there was a chance there was, there's also a, uh, you know, the truth is like last year when they were two and six, they were closer to O and eight than they were four and four. They're closer to 0-2 than they are 2-0. You know, uh, that Jacksonville game was in major doubt with about eight minutes to go um, in the game, down by eight points with no momentum uh, and seemingly falling apart at the seams before Wentz and that offense really saved them. Um, But uh, here are a couple of interesting stats from the first two games. Washington right now is Third in the league on third down offense. I think third down defense and third down offense is one of those traditional statistical numbers that can be very, very informative and very telling about teams. And last year, you know, second to last third down defense was pretty damn telling about what they were last year. They were a bad defensive team. They couldn't get off the field. And that's why they, you know, that was reason number one they won seven games last year. On offense right now, Third in the league behind Buffalo and Philadelphia. 
All right, arguably the two best teams in the league. Certainly the best team in the league in Buffalo right now, and one of the better teams in the league in Philadelphia. And then on defense, on defense, fifth in the league through two games on third down. They are 28% stop, 28% conversions against on third down. That's fifth best in the league right now. You know, that, and by the way, they only have one takeaway on the season. They're getting off the field on third down. So what's the, what's the problem, Sheehan? Well, these big explosive plays on first and second down are the problem, you know, and, and they, 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 they ha- and Ron's right. They've got to, they got to stop those easier said than done. They're also getting run on, on early downs where you're getting some chunk runs uh, and, and they count. You know, for those that say, well, if you take the uh, 57-yard run out of the – well, you can't take the 57-yard run out of it. The dude broke free. It's not like he broke seven tackles and you had him contained. There was nobody near him as he went for 50-some yards. Um, But the third down number is really – the third down numbers are great. They had a player – they had a player fall down on the ground get up and score a touchdown without anyone putting a hand on them. <laughs> and that player, by the way, was banged up all week. He, he is yes. a, he's a really good player. They have, by the way, they have some yeah, really good players. Amon Ross St. Brown, DeAndre Swift, Aiden Hutchinson, um, Okuda, I think. They have, they, they've drafted pretty well, and they've got some really good players. I don't know if that means they're going to be, you know, a much-improved team. I mean, they're going to be much-improved from where they were last year. They were 0-8-1 at, at one point. Um, I don't know if that means they're going to be a playoff contender, but they're, they have some players, Detroit does. Um, anyway, I, I thought those third-down numbers were interesting. Also, by the way, Washington's second in the league in red zone offense. They have been effective, and a lot of it has been play design. There have been some really good play designs from Scott Turner in the red zone. I mean, you can tell they have worked on some things, um, you know, to to get to, to score touchdowns when they are in the red zone. Um, so anyway, uh, it's two games. They play the best team. Obviously, they have played this year on Sunday. Um, this is not Jacksonville. This isn't Detroit. Even though I think Jacksonville and, and Detroit are much improved teams, they're getting a heavyweight, I think, coming in here Sunday. Now, maybe Philadelphia is in letdown mode after the Monday night, maybe the short week. Maybe they were banged up after uh, last night. Darius Slay would be a big one to look at. Maybe Washington can move the ball and score with Philadelphia. Detroit did. You know, Detroit put up 35 against the Eagles. Um but this is, you know, this is a big test. The next couple of weeks, I mean, you and I just said, eh, they're, they're, you know, so far probably what, what we thought they were going to be. Eight wins, yeah. nine wins, back and forth. But the next two weeks with Philadelphia and Dallas, two division games, where last year you waited until pretty much the end of the year with all those division games, it'd be nice to come out of the next two with a split. I mean, I'd take that right now, a split with, well, with yeah. the Eagles and Cowboys. Yeah, I mean, the Cowboys the Cowboys game, I mean, I think people are strutting a little bit less after the Cowboys win on Sunday. I think they realized that the Cowboys looked so bad the week before because they were playing Tampa Bay. Yeah, 
they and and Tampa uh, Tampa's defense. Oh my God! I mean, there yeah. are, there are a couple of defense. Oh my God, it's right. There are, there are a couple of teams defensively that really look awesome. I'm not sure there's anybody better than Tampa defensively right now, and Devin White in particular. Although Micah Parsons is close. I mean, we're yeah. going to be talking. I mean, Micah Parsons, we're going to be talking about all year long as a defensive player of the year candidate. And I think that was one of my kind of bold predictions when we were doing our division picks, which you really enjoyed last week um, or two weeks ago. Uh, Micah Parsons has, I think he's got four sacks in two games. And I think if you go back to last year, I mean, it's something, um, where is it? Yeah, he's got like, I think, six or seven sacks in his last like six games or something. Uh, he's He looks really good uh but you know sunday first and every week's a new week and philly you know you could catch him at the right time who knows um, a little bit full of themselves yeah. after the first two weeks and after a monday night blowout of the vikings and you know and and by the way there might be a packed crowd on sunday at fedex field <laughs> it should yeah. be awesome energy i'm looking forward to it are you gonna go sunday oh boy. of course i'm going okay um, I got a big weekend ahead of me. Do you have anything else to talk about today? No, I got, I got nothing else for you, boss. All right, um, I'm I'm into the Aaron Judge thing. We talked about that the other day. He's up to 59 now. Yeah, he's too short of Maris. Yeah, he's going to hit 64 or 65 this year. Yes, he will. By the way, real quickly, seriously, serious question. I think I've, I think I've asked this of you. Who and what is this Joey Manessis? And what is the deal with him? He is having a season out of nowhere. He was four for four last night. He had an inside the park homer over the weekend. Who is this guy and is he the real deal? Well, he could be the real deal. I mean, in terms of a player that you can count on as a foundation builder, he's a career minor leaguer. <laughs> right. okay. He's 30 years so old. Finally, yeah. Uh, I think, you know, and, you know, you got to see him for a full season. I mean, you know, because, I mean, in order to see, you know, like teams prepare for him, teams have, you know, uh, pitchers have books on him, see how he does there. But uh, I think the Nats found themselves, you know, they didn't find much this year, but I think they found themselves a couple of good complementary players in Lane Thomas and Joey Menendez. Menezes. Uh, Manessas. I think between the two of them, I think they'd both be on the roster last year, and they'd be good complementary players. They've still got a long way to go before they can, you know, they can find some foundation players. But I, he could be the real deal. I'm not going to say he is. You know, got to see him for a full season. I'm looking at his numbers right now. He basically, if you were to extrapolate this to 162 games, he's basically a, a 40 homer, 100 RBI, 325 batting average guy. I mean, that's ridiculous. I mean, it would be a little bit less than 100 RBIs. Um, it'd be like 38 homers. But still, I mean, this guy, every time I look at the – because I'm not watching these Nats games. I mean, who who is at this point? But I look at the box scores every night, you know, at, just to see, you know, try to keep up with it a little bit. And last night I, I, I looked at it and I'm like, oh, my God. He went four for four last night. I mean – and, and, he and he's doing this 
with nobody else in the lineup. Nobody. Either. Nobody. Yeah. yeah. He had an inside the Parker against uh, the Marlins the other day. Inside the run, yeah. Yeah. And, uh... I don't know. It's just it's weird. I'd like I, that. That'd be an interesting um, uh, Mike Rizzo conversation. Just about you know, like a grinder like Mike Rizzo, like a, a, a lifer in the game. To look at a guy like this who gets called up for the first time at thirty years old and produces, like what were people missing about this guy, or is it suspicious? You know, you always have to wonder about those things at thirty. Um, yeah. But yeah, uh, you do. But you know, uh, it, it, good for him. It's it's kind of it's kind of the story right now um, uh, on what has been just a disastrous uh, season. Um, I think uh, Scherzer last night uh, clinched it uh, for clinched a playoff spot. I think for the Mets. Um, and he got had it. a perfect game going. Yeah, it was his two hundredth win. Um, he did have he a, perfect a perfect game perfect going. Game. I didn't know that. Through how That's many innings? What I read where they took up six innings. You know, but they took him out. It's his first game back right, from first coming game off the DL. So they took him. Well, hold yeah. on for a second. I actually did I not so. know this. They took him out, and he had yeah. a perfect game through six. I think so. He, you're a hundred percent right. He pitched six innings last night. Perfect. Nine strikeouts in six yeah. innings. No walks. No yeah. hits. <laughs> wow, that's tough to he do. Was, man. He wasn't. He wasn't he great to watch. Boy, he was great to watch. What was his reaction to getting pulled last night with a perfect game through six? I don't, I don't know. I'm, I, I'm sure it was frustration, but understanding that, you know, he needs to be, he needs to be able to pitch in October for a team that just clinched, you know, that that is going to be playing in October. So he needs to take care of himself. With their pitching, they can definitely win the whole thing, don't you think? Yes. Um, all right. Uh, Clayton Kershaw, by the way, I'm just looking at this, uh, cause he's been out. He, hasn't he been out for a little bit? Um, he, he struck out I think 10, he's back. he struck out 10 and they clinched. I mean, obviously they clinched. I mean, they're in their lead, like 20 something games. Um, Something like that. all right. Uh, we're done for the day. I'll be back tomorrow with Cooley. <laughs>